Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Harbin Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, and every U.S. military base in the world, and your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. <clears throat> I've got a pile of news about what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in Russia. I've got a rant to share with you. I want to get into Katanji Brown-Jackson. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think I am. And also Dr. Eric Feigelding will be with us. He's going to talk about the studies suggesting, A, you don't need a fourth booster, but B, there's this epidemic of heart disease among people who had COVID. So, you know, what's, what's the real deal here? What's actually going on? So we'll dig into all those things as we go through the program. But I want to start with my rant from this morning. It's uh, published over at HartmanReport.com, and it's titled Republicans Siding with Putin Loathe Democracy and Honest Elections. And I started out by pointing out that about a month ago, when it looked like this might be coming down the road, Senator Bob Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey, introduced legislation in the Senate that would have strengthened Ukraine's ability to fight back against an invasion and given President Joe Biden some really powerful sanctions. Uh, one of the main things was the Lend-Lease Act. Back in 1941, Britain was under bombardment. It was the height of the Blitz. And Britain was just, you know, missiles were just, and bombs were just being poured down on Great Britain by Germany. And uh, Churchill reached out, reached out to FDR and said, we need your help. We need military equipment and we need it now. Now, under the law, the only way that the United States could have uh, uh, provided that, if they gave it to England or if they sold it to England, it would have functionally required or been, uh, there's a dispute about this, but nonetheless, uh, in essence would have been a declaration of war against Germany. And FDR did not want to get into World War II at that point. This was, you know, before Pearl Harbor, and, you know, which happened at the end of the year, on December 5th of that year. So instead, what FDR did is he got Congress to pass a bill called the Lend-Lease Act, 
which said that the United States could lend military equipment to another country or lease it to another country, but not give it to them and not sell it to them. So it's typically, so it's legally still the property of the United States, which means that we are not, by legal standards and international definitions, we are not, uh, we have not become a party to the conflict. So Menendez's bill would have allowed uh, President Biden to use the Lend-Lease Act to send billions of dollars worth of defensive equipment to Ukraine, you know, surface-to-air missiles and anti-tank weapon, all kinds of stuff. I mean, heavy-duty stuff that Ukraine could have used to defend itself. That bill also included $2.7 billion in security assistance that we have committed to Kiev since 2014, but that Donald Trump, President Trump, blocked the same day that President Zelensky said, no, I won't trash Joe Biden to help your election. Um, you know, Trump retaliated by blocking our foreign aid to Ukraine. So this bill would have done both things. It would have given Biden the ability to send weaponry and defensive weaponry to Ukraine through the Lend-Lease Act, and it would have given $2.7 billion to Ukraine so that they could strengthen their own defenses. The bill was killed by Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, who had been doing this whole grandstanding thing about how he didn't want the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to, to go into operation, and we need to block Germany from doing it, which you just don't do with your allies. You don't mess in Germany's internal affairs. But Cruz was out grandstanding about this, trying to pretend that he was this tough guy. And so when this piece of legislation came up, Cruz put a hold on it. So it couldn't get to the floor of the, of the Senate. And, you know, he said it was because of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which had nothing to do with the legislation. I, you know, I think it's fairly obvious he was simply trying to kneecap the Biden administration. Anything to hurt Joe Biden, anything to make a Democrat look bad, even if it compromises American national security. That's just fine with Ted Cruz. So that was last week. So Wednesday, day before yesterday, the day that the night that missiles were raining down on Ukraine, as that was happening, Ted Cruz was down in Mar-a-Lago partying hard with Donald Trump, along with Marsha Blackburn, the, the Republican senator who had put a hold on the entire U.S. budget. Keep in mind, the Pentagon's still operating on, the tw on last year's budget. And we're halfway into this year. I mean, the fiscal year started way back in October of last year. Um, so Marsha Blackburn had put a hold on, on the entire budget because she said that Biden wanted to give out free crack pipes. And, and, and then the third U.S. Republican senator who was down at Mar-a-Lago watching the bombs fall on Ukraine and presumably cheering it on was Lindsey Graham, the Trump lapdog. Um, Trump said to this group, these syncophants, quote, Putin is smart. He's taken over, he, he's taken over a country for $2 worth of sanctions. I'd say that's pretty smart. The day before, on Tuesday, Mike Pompeo had said, you know, Putin's very shrewd, very capable. I have enormous respect for him. Well, I, you know, I, th I think that Pompeo was right. I think that Putin is really strong and really capable. Uh, just don't think he's using that strength and capability in a way that's going to be to the benefit of either Russia or the world. In fact, my personal opinion on this is that Putin got punked by President Xi of China. Putin went over to, to the, uh, the Olympics, hung out with Xi. He's had, you know, over 40 meetings with him now. And... And Xi said, oh, you want to take Ukraine? Sounds like a great idea. Now, why would Xi say that? 
because he's thinking of taking Taiwan, and he wants to see how the world is going to respond if a major nuclear power seizes another country. What will America do? What will the European Union do? What will Australia do? What will Japan and South Korea and Taiwan do? You know, well, Taiwan, I mean, that's his target. And so he, I think, you know, and this is just my speculation. I have literally nothing to base this on other than the observed fact that Putin goes to, to China. Putin has a meeting with Xi. Xi comes out and says, yeah, if he's going to invade Iraq that's, or Ukraine, that's fine with us. And then Putin goes ahead and does it. I don't think he would have taken Ukraine if the president of China had said don't. I really don't think he would have. And now Xi gets to see exactly what kind of arsenal we have and what kind of backbone we have. And frankly, I don't think it's looking all that strong. So anyhow, I, as, as I said, I think that, and I think that this is going to backfire on Putin, and I'll get into that in just a minute. So, you know, basically, bottom line here, why is Trump praising Putin? Why is Pompeo praising Putin? Why are Republican senators... Uh, you know, like Blackburn and Cruz and, and Lindsey Graham, why are they partying hard with Donald Trump while the bombs are falling in, in Kiev? Well, because they hate democracy. Republicans haven't won a national election, a nationwide election, an initial nationwide, not a re-election, but an election. The Republicans haven't won a nationwide re election since 1988. The last time a Republican president was put into office with a majority of the voters in America was George Herbert Walker Bush in 1988. That was it. Every Republican since then has won the Electoral College, but not the popular vote. Americans are just not that into Republicans. And when you consider the, the, the wackadoodle stuff that the Republicans are proposing, like Senator Rick, Rick Scott's most recent proposal, that everybody in America who is already paying withholding taxes, social security tax, Medicare tax, should, in addition to pay income tax, even if they're only making 6,000 bucks a year, even if they're only making $15,000 a year working at McDonald's, they should be paying income tax. We need to lower the taxes on the billionaires and raise the taxes on average working Americans. That's Rick Scott's proposal. In addition to privatizing Medicare, killing social security and turning it over to the Wall Street banks. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and you know, so Americans are like, Republicans, no thanks. So what do the Republicans do? I mean, this is the same problem that Putin had when he had serious opposition from Alexei Navalny. What did he do? He put his opponent in prison. What are Republicans trying to do? Well, you know, Donald Trump in 2016 tried to put Hillary Clinton in prison. He's still trying to put Hillary Clinton in prison. John Durham still holds his office that, that Trump appointed him to as special prosecutor. And he's still turning out red meat for Fox News and the right wing media. But that's probably not going to happen in the United States. So what's plan B for the Republicans? Make it hard to vote. In fact, frighten the hell out of, in particular, black voters by putting them in prison. Crystal Mason was sentenced to five years in prison in Texas for trying to vote while she was on parole. Same thing with Pamela Moses, who got six years in Tennessee for the same crime. Neither of them actually voted. Both are black. Meanwhile, dozens of white people have been charged with voter fraud, virtually all of them for, tr for voting illegally for Donald Trump. None of them have gone to jail. This is a massive nationwide Republican effort to disparage elections, to frighten voters, 
and it has thrown American democracy into a crisis. Freedom House came out with their annual report uh, just this week, and they 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 said that you know America quote. Democracy's defenders sustained heavy new losses in their struggle against authoritarian foes, shifting the international balance in favor of tyranny. Where is it happening? Here in the United States. And I won't quote the whole thing. It's, if you want to read it, it's over at HartmanReport.com. Um, but this is what's going on. The Republicans are trying to trash democracy because it doesn't work for them anymore. It's harder and harder for them to get elected. And like I said, they haven't won a national election, an initial national election, since 1988, 34 years ago. Demographics are against them. The American people are against them. Their stupid ideas are not popular. And so this is what they do. They spend millions on think tanks and websites. Yesterday I was, trying to, I was Googling a topic for an article I was writing. The, the first seven respond the first seven hits I got were all right-wing sites every single one of them it's amazing how they're just they're flooding the zone and then of course they're supporting you know over 1500 right-wing talk radio stations hundreds of right-wing television stations they're supporting right-wing podcasters they're damaging faith in democracy and our elections that are its foundation they're fielding an army of trolls on social media and they're threatening democratic voters with prison Freedom House said, quote, the exposure of U.S. democracy's vulnerabilities has grave implications for the cause of global freedom. But, as I note in my op-ed today, it also keeps Republicans in power, and for them, that's all that matters. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day. i got to fill you in on what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. It's startling. And your calls, of course. And let's see here, Larry in Everett, Washington. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Well, just a few key factors. The situation is, is Trump, I'm almost positive. I wish I had a little mouse or someone that could go into Trump's little phone directory at the moment and find out that he's been in contact with Twerp, I call him, instead of the man's name. Uh, I would regret to call him to find out that he has been in contact with him are you talking about the president of Russia? Yes, I'm okay. saying that I'm saying that I'll use his name. Trump has been in contact. I wish we had a little mouse that could record what conversations have been going on, giving him plan by plan. Oh, I'd, by I'd plan. love to know what was said at Helsinki back, you know, for three years ago. I mean, you know, when they threw the, everybody out of the room except the Russian translator. Absolutely. And then Trump is paying back Zelensky simply because he wouldn't say yes to everything, all of his commands. Yep. And then, then 15 years ago, literally, Putin was practically broke. His country was going broke because then they wound up buying oil and, and oligarchies, not oligarchies, but our oligarchies, went in and bought and under who knows what money went from where, what channel to boost Putin economically with his oil and his corporation yep. to, to create what made him a, a, a billionaire in less than a year. And the eyes of America right now are all on Europe while the Republicans are partying, as you say, at the, at the very moment, are partying, and they're undermining our Constitution and breaking our system down 
that is what this is all about. Well, there are there are some green shoots, Larry. I don't know if you caught Ben Sass, Republican senator from Nebraska on CNN, but he just came out and, you know, gave it to Putin with both barrels and also to Xi. I mean, you know, he, he suggested, too, that, that Xi greenlit this operation for Putin and that President Xi of China is using Putin as a test flag or a test operation. I heard you say that, but the problem lies is, is that China just opened up the doors for their wheat. They lifted the sanctions for their wheat and opened up their operations. So, so now Russia can get their wheat in there, feed the soldiers, and feed everybody he needs to feed now because China yeah. is opening doors for Russia now. Whereas, No, I get it. China's going to support Russia as much as they can and as long as they can because this is the grand experiment. You know, they're, they're going to assume reciprocity. When they go after Taiwan, they want, they're going to want Russia to support them. Absolutely, sir. I'm very proud of you and what you do. And I listen to you every day in my vehicle when I deliver parts. I'm very proud of who you are. And I only hope that America can open up their eyes. I want somebody to create a sticker saying the word Trump and then put a circle and an X over MP and put T-H instead. Call it Trump exit truth. We need truth. Okay, truth. Yes, truth is a good idea. Your, your phone is breaking up there, Larry. Larry, thank you for the call. I got to tell you what's going on in, in Ukraine and Russia, and uh, then I'll pick up your phone calls. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. So let me just run. I got just a pile of what's going on here and, you know, what we need to keep an eye on as well. It's really turning into an absolutely remarkable story. The Ukrainian ambassador says that an entire Russian platoon has surrendered to Ukrainian forces. Now, keep in mind, this is fog of war time. We're going to hear stories that reflect poorly and well on both Russian and Ukrainian forces. And some of them are just going to be made up stuff. And some of them are going to be absolutely true. And sitting at this desk, it's really hard to tell which is which. But this is being reported by The Hill and apparently being taken very seriously. The Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, Oksanta Markarova, said yesterday that a platoon of Russian soldiers, this is the 74th Motorized Brigade from Kemerovo Oblast, uh, I think Oblast means like state, um, surrendered. Uh, the ambassador says, quote, they didn't know that they were brought to Ukraine to kill Ukrainians. They thought they were doing something else. 
Meanwhile, the Committee of Soldiers Mothers, you know, it's like a veterans organization in Russia, is claiming that Vladimir Putin's officials beat and tricked their own military soldiers in order to get them to invade Ukraine. This is over at Raw Story right now. Uh, well, actually, it's from the Daily Beast. They said they are switching entire regiments to contract soldiers, although the guys did not submit any formal request to this and took no such initiative. There are instances of physical violence and beatings of those who refuse to become contract soldiers. And after that, it's completely unknown what happens to them. This is one of the soldiers who say, no, I don't want to go to Ukraine and shoot at people who might be my cousin. They vanish, basically. They take away their phones. We've had a flurry of calls from scared mothers all over Russia. They are crying. They don't know if their children are alive or healthy. He went on to call it a complete catastrophe. British Defense Minister Ben Wallace released footage, actual satellite footage, of mobile crematoriums that the Russian soldiers are bringing along with them so that they can hide the sight of dead Russian soldiers from the world. He said they will completely evaporate the bodies. Meanwhile, protests in Russia. Uh, I'll tell you about that on the other side of the break, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. It's getting, it's getting strange out there. It's getting very strange out there. By the way, be very, very careful. I got three of these this morning. Text messages saying that they're from Amazon or anybody else that have a link in them. Do not hit that link. They will take your phone. Never click a link in a text message, even if it looks like it's from somebody you know, unless you're 100% sure. Welcome back. This is uh, proving to be a, a, a difficult meal to swallow for uh, Russia, at least so far. And like I said, I think China set them up for it as a test run. But in any case, more than 150 senior Russian officials just signed an open letter condemning the invasion of Ukraine. These are Russians in Russia. I could go through the list, but there are Russian names that you would probably not be familiar with. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you some, some context. The letter, which described the signatories as those elected by the people, this is from the Daily Mail, by the way, in the United Kingdom, as those elected by the people said, they, quote, unreservedly condemn the attack of the Russian army on Ukraine. This is an unprecedented atrocity for which there is no and cannot be justification. The decision to attack was made personally by Russian President Vladimir Putin. We are convinced that the citizens of Russia did not give him such a mandate. Keep in mind, these are Russians. Hopes, they, they warned of catastrophic consequences, said thousands of people will die, be injured and maimed. Cities dear to many Russians will be destroyed. Hopes for a good life in Russia are crumbling before our eyes, the letter said. We urge you not to participate in the aggression and not to approve of it. Please don't be silent. Only massive popular condemnation here in Russia can now stop this war. And it goes on from there. These absolutely extraordinary protests going on in Russia right now. Some of the folks were holding placard. This is huge. I mean, all across Russia, 53 cities yesterday, 53 cities, Russian police arrested 1,667 protesters, 957 of them just in Moscow. They were holding placards that said no war or Putin go away or no occupation of Ukraine. This is amazing. And here are some of the people who have added their names to these, you know, that list that I was just telling you about, the open letter and, and just speaking out. The socialite and former presidential candidate 
Ksenia Sobchak wrote on Instagram, we the Russians will be dealing with the consequences of today for many years to come. Now I will only believe in the worst scenarios. Another, one of the Russia's most famous television comedians, uh, kind of the, uh, the Russian uh, Conan O'Brien, his, his name is Ivan Ergont. Uh, he, t he posts on Instagram, fear and pain, no to war. Maxim Galkin, who is a singer and also a, a TV host in Russia, he said, I've been in touch with my relatives and friends from Ukraine since this morning. I can't even explain in words how I feel this is impossible. How is this possible? Yelena Kovalskaya, director of the state-funded Moscow Theater, just quit her job and said on Facebook, it's impossible to work for a killer and get paid by him. Authorities are cracking down hard on these folks. Uh, Marina Litvinovich, who is a, a, a well-known Russian human rights activist, was arrested as she left her Moscow home this morning after posting on Facebook that, that uh, Russians should protest. Uh, Russian police officers detained the Ukrainian pop singer in Russia, uh, Olga Romanovskaya, during a protest in Moscow. Another human rights advocate, Led Pamanavyov, started a petition against the invasion that had, by Friday morning, 330,000 signatures. More than 250 Russian scientists and journalists signed another open letter declaring strong protest to what they called the fatal step by Russia's leader. They said, quote, there is no rational justification for this war. And a coalition of 30 independent Russian media outlets also spoke out against the massacre. Um, this by uh, Emma Reynolds from this uh, inews.co.uk. Uh, uh, against, quote, the massacre started by the Russian leadership, promising to be, quote, honest about what is happening while we have this opportunity. That's 30 different Russian media outlets. And an anti-war petition started by the Commerçant Business Daily Report, Elena Chemenko, on Telegram was signed by at least 100 journalists. We, Russian media correspondents and experts who write about Russian foreign policy, condemn the military operation launched by the Russian Federation in Ukraine. War has never been and never will be a method of resolving conflicts and there is no justification for it, they said. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, a Ukrainian soldier, Vitaly Skakun, was part of a Marine infantry battalion fighting to fend off a column of Russian tanks that were heading for a, a major bridge. It was called the Henishek Bridge in the uh, Kershon region of Ukraine. The troops, the Ukrainian troops, made the decision to blow up the bridge. This young man, I think he's 22 years old, volunteered to go out on the bridge and blow it up. He did. He died blowing up the bridge, but it stopped the movement of the Russians. Uh, the President Zelensky said, quote, This morning we are defending our country alone. Just like yesterday, the most powerful country in the world looked on from a distance. He's referring to us, the United States. He added, Russia was hit with sanctions, but these are not enough to get these foreign troops off our soil. To the citizens of the Russian Federation who went out to protest, I want to say we see you. This means you heard us. This means you are starting to believe us. Fight for us. Fight against the war. So, phew, a lot going on. All right, let me pick up your phone calls and see what your thoughts are on all this. Kate in New York City. Hey, Kate, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hi, Tom. Am I allowed to talk about something aside from Russia? You can talk about anything you want. Okay. So I wanted, this story has kind of been buried that came out because of the Ukraine coverage regarding these two prosecutors in the Manhattan DA's office 
who abruptly resigned amid reports that Alvin Bragg, who's the new DA that just took over there, apparently thinks he can't get an indictment on the Trump investigation. And, you know, it's quite puzzling why this would happen, why they resigned abruptly and why Bragg is pulling back. I think somebody got to him. Yeah. I I mean, mean, Trump has connections to the literally mafia families in New York City. Right. And it's surprising to me because, you know, Bragg has come under fire because he's apparently, you know, not wanting to prosecute certain low level crimes because he wants to go after the big fish. And this is about the biggest fish of all. So, I, you know, it's unfortunately this story happened to drop at a really bad time because Mm -hmm. all the focus is on Russia. And I just don't I'm 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 concerned that it's just going to fade away and we're not going to get any any clear coverage on this. I I think that's exactly what's going to happen, Kate. And I and thank you for bringing it up and mentioning it. I know nothing about Alvin Bragg, the new district attorney in Manhattan. He replaces Cyrus Vance Jr., who I knew a lot about. But I know nothing about this guy. I don't live in New York. I didn't see the election coverage. Or I'm assuming he's elected. Do you know anything? Can you can you fill us fill us in a little bit who he is, where he came from, what he's all about, what he's done? His main concern is he wants to improve racial relations. He's an African-American man and he believes that there's a lot of low-level crime being prosecuted. And I I was a public defender for 10 years in New York, so I can agree that there's a lot of these cases, like the turnstile jumpers and whatnot, they they do clog up the system. Mm -hmm. And so he's pulling back on those kind of prosecutions, but some people feel he's gone too far because, for example, if somebody holds you up with a gun and the gun is plastic, he's not going to charge you with... uh, you know, attempted robbery. And and there's been a, a rash of, of crimes happening, such as people walking into a CVS and walking out with a bag of goods because they know they're not going to be arrested under this new regime. And as much as huh. as much as the lower level crimes do clog up the system, you know, the result is we have a lot of law lawlessness going on right now. And that's not good either. So, you know, it's just surprising because uh, if this man is is in there with a mandate to try to, you know, help people that are mentally disturbed rather than prosecute them and put the full prosecution efforts on the serious criminals, this is a strange way to do it, you know, yeah. by letting Trump go. Yeah, I get it. I absolutely get it. And And the fact that the two prosecutors one of whom was probably the most famous organized crime prosecutor in America, one of these two prosecutors who resigned apparently in, in disgust. I mean, they're not making any public statements, which is, I don't know, maybe that's a condition of their employment or maybe they just, you know, they're being respectful, but it really stinks to high heaven to me too, Kate. Kate, thanks a lot for bringing it up. I appreciate the call. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I 100% agree with you that those two prosecutors were properly threatened and their families were probably threatened. Or the new DA was. Yeah, all of them probably. And your rant was brilliant, and I thank you for your coverage on all of our threats. And I'm like hair on fire because I'm concerned for the whole planet because I heard Russia took a hold of the nuclear isolation area in Chernobyl. And the thing about that is there are 15 nuclear reactor plants in Chernobyl, in Ukraine. And 
Uh, I was watching Democracy Now. Linda Gunter said, if one of those is destroyed, it could be a chain reaction. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, there is a huge concern about the 15 nuclear power plants that are operating right now in Ukraine and supplying electricity to that country. And right. the Chernobyl thing, I think, is a completely separate uh, point because Chernobyl, if you look at a map, uh, Chernobyl is basically on the path from, as I recall, Belarus to, yes. to uh, Ukraine. And the yes. Chernobyl exclusion zone is a 19-mile, uh, I believe it's a radius, it might be a diameter, but it's a 19-mile circle, essentially, around the crippled Ukrainian reactor. And this old road that yes. could be used by tanks and other things to run right up you know, from Belarus into Ukraine runs right through that exclusion zone. And so the best guess is that the reason why they grabbed Chernobyl was because they wanted to secure that road. And Plus, they are saying that the tanks driving through there have caused radiation to come back into the atmosphere. Yeah, they're stirring the dust up. Right, they're stirring up, you know, I mean, radioactive dust is really, really heavy stuff. Radioactive isotopes are real heavy, like lead is heavier than steel. Radiation is heavier than lead and you know, radioactive elements. And, and yes, now they're being stirred up by, by all this and it's measurable. Jessica, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mark in Lexington, North Carolina. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Yes, Tom. The one thing I wanted to ask is history shows that especially when Germany invaded the Soviet Union, which was the old Soviet Union, they had absolute dependence on the Donbass region for their coal. And I wonder if that could be one of the reasons why, I mean, Putin's rich in natural gas and oil, but does he also want to take the coal? 
Oh, that's that's a good question, Mark. I I, I confess I am not that knowledgeable about the region. My uh, you know, one of my kids spent a year studying Russian and Ukrainian in actually in the in Crimea, so I have kind of an indirect familiarity. But you know, I've never been there, and I don't pretend to be a student of the area. But if that's a coal-rich region, I mean, you know, coal-rich areas are also where you frack for natural gas, and that could add a lot to the equation. But I just don't know. I mean, do you have any expertise in this area, or are you basing uh, Yes, I do. Okay, tell me about uh, it. I know that Hitler told Van Manstein's forces, which I believe was Army, and I think it was Army Group North or Army Group South, mm-hmm. whichever it was, to fight to the death to keep the Dombats, mm-hmm. because he had to keep the Dombats for the coal and the natural resources there. Right. And then with his flexible strategy, he was able to do that and retain it for a while longer. And there's one other thing I want to say to you that I want to thank you a great deal for, and that is this. I did not know of Richard Wolf, Norm Kronsky, or Robert Reich mm-hmm. oh. until I watched your program. Yeah, well, they're all great guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least, I, I at least have, the one in the middle I, have, I don't recognize. Uh, well, the first thing that I watched was mm-hmm. Requiem for American Dream mm-hmm. with Norm Kronsky. Oh, Norm Chomsky. And I yeah. was. Norm yeah. Chomsky, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I'm a little nervous on the rail. That's okay. uh, Norm Chomsky, and it left me just ice cold. Yeah, yeah. It just left me ice cold. And the more I watch Democracy Now, it does the same thing, and it opens my eyes. And I can't get friends to dedicate an hour or two to even watch this stuff. The few that I have have one or two reactions. Either they're in total denial or they're in total shock. And you can guess which <laughs> which people are in total denial and which are in total shock. Who is which? Yeah, Mark, I have a just a, a kind of a question. Uh, how did you, f- I mean, you're watching us on Free Speech TV. How did you discover Free Speech TV and or our show? I just saw you one day on there and liked what you were saying, what you were discussing. Uh-huh. But did you find Free Speech TV by channel surfing or did somebody tell you about it or what? Well, I have a Roku. Uh-huh. And I was just channel surfing for something other than other than propaganda. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and, great. And other, and other than, than uh, what the regular news networks put out, because it's pretty mundane. Yeah. They don't, want to take, they don't seem to want to take a stand on anything, except, of course, Fox News, which is a political arm of the Republican Party and Donald Trump. Yeah, there you go. Mark, thanks a lot. Thanks for the call. It's great Thank to hear you. from you and, and uh, appreciate the conversation. Uh, let's take a breath <laughs> with regard to Ukraine and all this stuff that's going on and to, to talk about the other big crisis that America is facing. In fact, I would say probably a bigger crisis, and that is uh, p- the pandemic, you know, uh, COVID. We're getting all these conflicting messages. The, uh, I believe it was the New York Times just uh, published a, a long article suggesting that a single booster shot, a third shot, is really all we need. On the other hand, the Washington Post published a long piece talking about how we're seeing an epidemic now across the United States of heart problems that seem to be related to people having gotten infected with COVID. How serious is this? Is it true that we don't need a fourth booster? What's our situation right now? Is it time to go out and, hey, get infected or something? I, let's check in with Dr. Eric Feigelding. He's an epidemiologist and senior fellow with the Federation of American Scientists. He was the first whistleblower on the COVID pandemic way back in the day, former faculty member and researcher at the Harvard Medical School and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. 
the best way to track down his information, and he's really worth following on Twitter, is Dr. Eric Ding, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G on Twitter. Dr. Feigelding, welcome back to the program. You heard my setup. I'm not sure where you want to begin with that, but where are we at in this pandemic, and, and what are your thoughts on a fourth shot? Thanks for having me. I think the pandemic is far from over, and anyone who says it's over has been wrong many, many times and should not be listened to. Because the truth is, it, although cases are dropping, we know that there's a no, new variant, a subvariant of Omicron called BA2, which should honestly be its own variant concern. It's more transmissible. It's growing exponentially in the U.S., even though it's still very low. It's growing, and we've seen this rodeo many times, and we know how this rodeo ends. And I think it could potentially be a looming problem in a month or two uh, as we swing open the doors and pretend that, you know, everything's fine. And I want to emphasize, we definitely do need boosters for everyone. And the latest CDC's data shows that boosters not only benefit those 65 or older, but also middle age, as well as young people, 18 to uh, 49. Boosters really make a difference because if you're just two shot vaccinated, you have about uh, now only in the low 70s percent a protection against hospitalization, not just infection, hospitalization. The protection is only in the low 70s percent. But with a booster, you're in the uh, 90s again. Yeah. And so that clearly shows we need boosters and also clearly shows that we have to be very vigilant against this virus because these variants are coming and just putting your head in the sand like an ostrich does no one any good. And if anything, it hurts our children, hurts our ability for our economy to recover because no one wants this yo-yoing effect by actually stopping COVID and putting it down permanently is what we need to do. And, and how do we do that? And, and by, by booster, when you were saying, you know, we need boosters, I'm assuming you're, you're talking about the first booster, the third shot. Uh, you want to weigh in on the second booster, the fourth shot. Yeah, the sec another booster, fourth shot, I'm not quite sure yet, but I know that it does have benefits in the elderly. We've seen it in Israel uh, as well that with another booster, um, a fourth shot does reduce further risk by 50%, which is, it's not nothing. 50% is cutting risk by half. Right. Um, but I think for most people, we definitely need a third shot. And that, by the way, includes Johnson Johnson people who got a first shot, and a second shot as a booster, but I think they deserve a third shot. Uh, I think that definitely, everyone should get three shots, period. Yeah. Um, and in terms of actually, you know, stopping COVID, period, you know, we just can't pretend that, you know, uh, that swinging doors open and reducing mitigation will lead to good results when, when whenever we see cases still really high. Cases are still really high. They're much lower than the Omicron peak, but they're still incredibly high. And also the other reality with uh, advent of home testing, a lot of people don't go to official testing sites anymore to get COVID tests. They get a home test. It's like, oh, it's positive. I should just, you know, take care of myself a few days. But in many ways, that's uh, people are not reporting these positive cases in. So we have to be vigilant. And long COVID is real. It's not just death or hospitalizations. Long COVID is real. And that's why we need premium masks, N95, KN95 masks, as well as HEPA filters. Please buy a HEPA filter if you can. If you can't buy a HEPA filter, get yourself one of these core seat boxes, uh, like a box fan and five filters. 
and tape tape them tape them together with duct tape into a cube and those are just as good as HEPA filters and cost much less. Hmm. Please use HEPA filters or these Corsi box filters and it's really important for your workplace and school and home. So uh, translating this into practical reality uh, well, actually, before I get to that, uh, this, this piece in the Washington Post about all these long-term cardiac issues associated with previous COVID infections, on one of the networks, I saw a physician being interviewed, and he said, yeah, that's a real problem, but it appears that the vast majority of those people who are suffering long-term heart issues got COVID before the vaccines were available or they were unvaccinated after the vaccines were available. This is a very rare and unlikely outcome of getting COVID when you've been fully vaccinated and boosted. Um, does the data that you're looking at indicate that? So it is true that if you're vaccinated and boosted, especially boosted, then your risk of long COVID is, is much lower. We don't know exactly how much lower, or lower and how much uh, less of the long-term effects are, but it is much lower. That said, we have a huge swath of America that is not boosted. Majority, I think like well over 50%, I think two thirds are not boosted. Right. And in terms of vaccinated, we know there's a huge contingent of people who are not vaccinated. And just pretending that we won't have negative outcomes is really bad. Uh, in many ways, some people say as long as we avoid hospitalizations, that's great. But you know what? It's not just hospitalization efficacy, it's transmission. Because you and your your friends maybe feel protected and boosted, but someone in your family, in your network, um, maybe is a child who's not vaccinated yet, uh, or an elderly who's very immunocompromised and vulnerable. Like I just remember, like the Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, his four-year-old daughter who's not vaccinated, not eligible yet, brought COVID home, and everyone in their family got COVID again. Wow. And this just shows that, you know, you have one vulnerable person in your family and quickly that can spread to the rest of the family. And I know that his parents, Vivek Murthy's parents also live there and they're vulnerable. So this is where that's like a perfect microcosm that you may feel protected. But if you have one vulnerable person in your family who's not fully protected, they could easily cause a wildfire. And this is why we need to be careful of transmission, not just hospitalization risk. So how do we translate this into practical reality going forward? I think, I think it's a, uh, pretty much a given that uh, governments from federal to state to local within a few months are just basically gonna have thrown their hands up in the air and said, okay, it's up to you people to figure this out. We're not gonna play this game anymore. We're sick and tired of being beat up by right-wing crazies and anti-vax people and, and uh, you know, and it looks like people aren't, and, and we don't have to worry about the pressure on the hospitals so much anymore. So what's a person to do? I mean, and I would divide that question, I suppose, into kind of two categories, one being, you know, just your average person who doesn't have any serious medical conditions and isn't over 65 and is vaccinated and boosted. Let's, let's assume vaccination and a boost here in the context of this question. So number one, for the people who you know, don't have conditions and number two, for people who do, you know, who have type two diabetes or they're you know, severely overweight or they, they're immune compromised or they're taking immune suppressant drugs. You know, do we go to restaurants? Do we just eat outdoors? Do we wear masks all the time? I mean, what going forward into this new year here, how do we behave? Yeah, I think, first of all, most important things get boosted for sure. And the second of, is that, you know, any place in which you can make a difference, please get HEPA filters or bring Corsi boxes. 
anywhere that you can have a decision-making power to install these devices, please get these air filtration, disinfection things installed. And of course, in restaurants, you should ask and try to demand that they have outdoor dining if possible or indoor dining with HEPA filters if possible. All these things really make a difference. And I think really, really continue to test Continue to isolate. There's people who basically don't isolate anymore if they get a positive test. Continue to do all these things. Still wear an N95 mask in a lot of settings if possible. And again, indoor restaurant settings, be really careful. I think those are all the key things we have to do. And if you want to take off your mask, do it only when cases are really, really low in your area. And right now, cases are not really that low in everywhere. America, we still have cases at a very high rate relatively to where we were in the past. So please take every mitigation because this actually, if we all act together, we can end this sooner and keep our kids in school and have less of our kids yo-yoing out of school because of infections. That's great. So please stay safe. Dr. Eric Feigelding, and you can follow him on Twitter, Dr. Eric Ding. Dr. Feigelding, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. Thank you. Great having you. And we'll continue our conversations about, you know, how should the United States, how should the world react to what's going on in Ukraine? Stick around. Talk radio for the sane among us. Yes, there are still some of us here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It looks like Russian forces, what the government of the Ukraine is describing as sabotage forces, are have infiltrated Kiev to put bombs in places and just, you know, basically sow chaos. Also, some of the Russian troops are apparently wearing Ukrainian uniforms to create confusion. So, uh, I mean, this is just all over the place. There's a great summary of it over on DailyCoes.com by Mark Sumner. It's right up at the top, uh, Ukraine Update. And I'll just leave it at that. Also, the Associated Press is reporting. You'll recall President Biden said he did not want to put sanctions on Putin himself, on President Putin himself. And the reason President Biden said he didn't want to do that, I mean, he didn't give this reason, but, you know, most of the diplomats will tell you, is that, you know, when you use all of your ammunition, you've got nothing left to negotiate with. I'm very ambivalent about that argument. And... You know, I think stronger sanctions are called for, but who knows? But the European Union apparently has decided to do it. This is the headline in the, on the Associated Press, article by uh, Raf Kassert and Foster Klug. It says, with a military intervention in Ukraine off the table for now, countries around the world are looking to heap more financial punishment. The EU's unanimous decision indicated that Western powers are moving toward unprecedented measures the Latvian foreign minister, Edgars Renvix, tweeted that the 27 nation bloc's foreign ministers adopted the sanction package 
that includes the asset freeze includes president of Russia and its foreign minister, uh, Mr. Lavrov. And it is being reported right now by the New York Times that uh, Russia is limiting access within its country to Facebook because so many Russians are using Facebook to uh, basically dissent, to say, no, we don't want this, we don't like this, we don't want to go here. Now, also in the news, President Biden has nominated Katanji Brown Jackson, just an extraordinary woman from her credentials. I don't know her. I've read about her in the context of being one of the people who were being advanced. In fact, a number of people were speculating that she was definitely the nominee because she's on the D.C. Circuit Court or the Court of Appeals in, for the District of Columbia. And one of the cases that she was involved with just kind of got very quickly wrapped up. The same thing happened the day before Brett Kavanaugh's because he was on the same court. The same thing happened the day before he was announced by Donald Trump as his nominee. And uh, yes, definitely. She has been a federal judge since 2013. She was first a trial judge in D.C. President Biden put her on the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which is like the second most powerful court in the United States behind the Supreme Court, and is typically the launching pad into the Supreme Court. She's only 51 years old, by the way. She would be the second youngest person on the court. Amy Coney Barrett is younger than that. I don't recall her exact age. I think she's in her late 40s. But Brown would be, at age 51, would be the second youngest, which is great. A good, progressive, young person on the court. Just something that I learned about her background today that I thought was just absolutely fascinating. This, I got this from yeah, a piece that Ian Milheiser, who's just a great, uh, he's a, he used to be a regular guest on our show. He's a lawyer and a great writer and commentator on the law. And uh, his piece in Vox really informed me this morning. In 2003, she was in private practice, and she had a good gig, was making a lot of money. And uh, she left that to spend two years working as a staffer for the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Then from there, she decided, in her own words, she said she lacked, quote, I lacked a practical understanding of the actual workings of the federal criminal justice system. So how do you get that practical knowledge of how the actual criminal justice system works? She became a, an assistant federal public defender in Washington, D.C., representing indigent clients at trial and arguing before the D.C. Circuit. I mean, you know, this is like kind of the bottom of the heap in, in law in terms of pay, certainly, and in some cases in terms of status. So she took like multiple, essentially, demotions to really understand what's going on at the street level with regard to law in the United States. I'm blown away by that. Chuck Grassley, who was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee until the Democrats took over, he's now number two. When she came before that committee in, uh, I believe it was 2021, for her confirmation last year, for her confirmation of the D.C. Circuit Court, he praised her. He said, she has, he said, quote, I really appreciate your work on sentencing reform and spoke very highly of her. When the vote came, of course, Grassley was told by Mitch McConnell, don't vote for any Democratic nominees, and he voted against her. But uh, even Grassley has, has praised this woman. You know, the one little bit of, uh, I'm not sure if conflict is the right word, is that she's not the corporate lawyer that Jim Clyburn had wanted President Biden to put on the Supreme Court. Instead, she's a whole lot more progressive, which, you know, from my point of view, is actually just fine and a good thing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
Today we're reading from the Polar Bear Expedition, the Heroes of America's Forgotten Invasion of Russia, 1918-1919. It's a story, by the way, that the Russians remember well, but most Americans are unaware of. This is from the prologue, Nizhny Gora, Russia, January 19th, 1919. They've been expecting it for weeks, hell, months, and so the men of Company A to the 339th Infantry Regiment, the Polar Bears, as they would come to call themselves, have stood night and day in 40 below zero temperatures. They stamp their feet and try not to touch bare skin on the frozen barrels of their weapons, lest their flesh be ripped off. They peer through the deep ebony night of their dark log-lined dugouts into the frigid tundra toward the south and east across the ice-choked river and watch for it, wait for it, and wonder how many will come and how they will perform when they do. And they wonder, too, if and how they will ever get out of this place, this frozen Hades, this last place on Earth at the top of the world. And then early on this morning, they do come, a horde of them, dim forms in the distance spread out across the Vaga River, some on skis, others on snowshoes, all of them armed, like ghost warriors traversing the river Styx, hundreds of them to their mere handful of 46. Bolos, the men call them, Bolsheviks. Now a shell flung from upriver, arcing and piercing the barely gray of dawn, flies over the village. Lieutenant Harry Meade awakens with a start, quickly dons his fur hat and overcoat and boots, and races to the far outpost where this scant group of half-dozen men stands guard against not only the enemy, but the tide of history. The sergeant hands him his field glasses and he squints through the misty, blowing snow, the only sounds the sharp snapping of frozen tree branches and the dull booming of the river ice cracking. He sees them now, coming on several hundred yards of the distance, and he quickly understands that the company is probably doomed. Now a grayish form enters his view much closer and he peels the glass from his eye. Steam comes from his mouth as the thin outpost is now about to be overrun by a nearer group of the enemy who have snuck closer and rise like dervishes from their concealment in the deep snow. Lieutenant Harry Meade, late of Valparaiso, Indiana and Detroit, Michigan, stranded more than 200 miles from his regiment's base at Archangel, Russia, doesn't have to speak as the mass of bolos descends on his small attachment. His men are already furiously firing their machine guns and rifles at this grisly apparition, all while more artillery shells spew over them and land amid them. Meade yells the words anyway, as if by rote, as if it's not too late, as if any of them has a chance. Fire, Meade orders his men. For God's sake, fire! Chapter 1, The March to Intervention. The preliminaries began on March 9, 1918, with millions of high-explosive and gas shells raining across the front between the northern French cities of Prey and Saint-Quentin. The smothering of the British-held territory continued through the week and beyond, and was topped off with a continuous salvo from 6,700 pieces of German artillery, which began at 4.30 in the morning on March 21st. Five hours later, heavy mortars began raining death and destruction on the British Fifth Army, and five minutes later, the advance of three German armies, 69 divisions in all, poured from their trenches and headed east, with the aim of splitting the junction of British and French forces on the southern end of the Somme front, and sending the Brits in a panic for the protection of the Channel ports. There was an urgency to the assault, and for good reason. With the signing of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk on March 3rd, Russia had officially taken itself out of the war and relieved the pressure on Germany's eastern front. After years of fighting a two-front war, German forces were now consolidated. 
Meanwhile, the United States, which had declared war on Germany nearly a year before, had yet to send enough men across the Atlantic to tip the balance in the Allies' favor on the Western Front. But the Yanks were coming. During that spring of 1918, therefore, Germany had a small and unique window in which to act while the numbers favored them, and so the hand-picked assault troops went forward in great and deadly haste. Above the attackers, 326 fighter aircraft soared into the morning, their opposition just 261 British planes. Following barrages, small teams of stormtroopers appeared out of the deep fog and, ignoring the British strongpoints, cut swaths through the trenches with light machine guns, automatic weapons, and flamethrowers. By the end of the first day of what would be a months-long offensive, the Germans had pushed more than four miles through the British and were still advancing. In their wake, they left the bodies of an untold number of defenders, thousands of wounded and 21,000 prisoners. By March 23rd, three huge guns made by the arms manufacturer Krupp had been hauled forward and began sending shells into Paris, 72 miles away. 200 Parisians would be killed on that day alone. Those unlucky Parisians would be but grains of sand in an ocean of war that had enveloped France since August of 1914, when a gray tide of Germans had pushed across the border with Belgium and by early September had very nearly taken Paris. The flood was checked on the Marne River east of the French capital in early September, but the war, it would eventually become known as the Great War, had only begun. The Germans intended to stay, and by the end of 1914, a dizzying series of parallel zigzagging trenches, French, German, and to the north, those of France's British allies scarred the French soil, the polar bear expedition. Donna in Round Mountain. Hey, Donna, we have a little less than a minute. You got a quick one for me? I'm always fast, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I don't like the idea of further dividing us with this blame Biden, blame Putin, blame Trump. What I think is we should blame the real problem, and that's corporate rule. Ah. So, but blame corporate rule. There you go. Or blame, your blame giant monopolies or, you know, blame ExxonMobil. I get it. Donna, thank you. That's a good one. Uh, blame the, blame the, the people who are not actually people, the corporations. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place, and continue this conversation. So we'll have an interest, just like today, we'll have an interesting day together, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll know a whole lot more about exactly what these sanctions are all about. So in the meantime, there are things you can do for our democracy. Jump on it. Get out there. Get active. Tay, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.